Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. So good to have you guys here. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Just want to say that we're so thankful that you're with us today. Uh, if you are a visitor, please stick around and meet us at the Meet Grace table in the back. We would love to meet you, shake your hand, give you a little free gift back there. And uh, we, would, we would just like to get to know you a little bit. So stick around and come see us right after for five minutes if you're a visitor today. We're in a series called Radical Surrender. And we're talking in this series about surrendering our lives to Jesus like never before. Last week, Pastor Dave killed it. He preached a fantastic sermon. Uh, Can we just hear it for a moment for Pastor Dave? Yeah. Good job, brother. Appreciate, Appreciate him so much. And so that's, that's the topic this morning. And so some of us in this room have been in church and in the Word of God for a long time, and, and you know the Scriptures pretty well. And some of us in this room maybe don't know the Bible well at all, and we are so glad that you're here too. And so for those in the first category, I have this little tiny group pop quiz. And what I want to do is I'm going to say a statement from Philippians, and I want you to finish it. It's very simple, and it's something that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and he said, to live is Christ. Very good. One more time. To live is Christ. Now, for those of us who don't have a clue what that means, it sounds very strange. But the context of this passage is that Paul was in jail, in a Philippian jail, writing to the Philippian church. And this is first century Roman society. He's in a nasty, dirty, old jail cell. And he's writing to them about whether he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And he says that it really doesn't matter whether I live or I die to me because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And what he means by that, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he means that my life is all wrapped up in Jesus. My relationship with Jesus is far and away the most important thing in life. But to die would mean that I get to go and be with him face to face and to see him in his glory. And so Paul says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's saying the most important thing in his life is to be close to Jesus, and that that relationship is more valuable to him than anything else. To live is Christ. And I wonder for us this morning, if we were gut level honest, if we could search the depths of our heart, if we could really know and identify, okay, what is the single most important thing in my life, how would we finish that statement? To live is, we might finish it differently. When I was eight years old, to live was a Nighthawk electric big wheel. And I wanted that thing. I saw it in like an old school JCPenney catalog or something. Eight years old, I saw that thing, Nighthawk Electric Big Wheel. It was so important to me, I even remember what it was called. And I told my mom, I'm like, Mom, if I just had the big wheel, all of life would make sense. 
And Christmas was coming, and I kept reminding her, Nighthawk Electric Big Wheel, Mom, that's all I want. Nighthawk Electric Big Wheel. And Christmas morning came, and I remember it distinctly. I come down the stairs, and I walk around the corner into the living room, and there next to the tree, in all her glory, was the Nighthawk Electric Big Wheel. And for, for a little while, life made sense. I even have a picture of me riding the big wheel. Do you want to see it? All right, so let's show them the picture. There I am. I'm so happy. I love that thing. All right, the picture's doctored, I admit, but the story's real. They didn't have iPhones back then, so I don't have a picture. But to live was a Nighthawk electric big wheel. Fast forward about five years, and my priorities changed. My value system changed. And something happened inside of me, and to live was no longer a toy, but it became to have respect from my peers, 13 years old. And despite the fact that I had amazing parents who loved me like crazy and invested time into my life, for some reason I kind of went off the deep end, and the way that I decided to get respect from my peers was through fear. And so I slicked my hair back, and I wore a big gold chain. I'm being dead serious with you guys. And I'm serious. And I started bringing weapons to school, and I started selling drugs, and I wanted people to fear me because to live was to be respected. That was me, 13 years old. About five years later, I graduated high school, and I realized that what got me respect as a teenager was not the same thing that was going to get me respect as an adult. And so instead of having this gangster drug dealer persona, all within a couple of months, I completely changed the way I looked, the way I acted. I started wearing button-up shirts, collared, tucked in. I went from C's and D's in high school to straight A's in college. And my goal was to become a computer scientist and, and to be rich. But my value system hadn't changed. On the outside, it looked like, man, I had really gotten it together. But on the inside, to live was still to have respect. Just went about it in a different way. And on November 19th, 2000, I put my faith in Christ. I remember in my bedroom, living at my parents' house, 20 years old, I got, or 19 years old, I got down on my knees and I prayed a prayer of surrender and faith and God began to radically change my life so that the most valuable thing was no longer to have respect. Paul says to live is Christ. To live is Christ, Philippians 1.21. The most valuable, most important thing in Paul's life was a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to ask this morning, what's the most valuable thing in yours? How would you answer? How would you finish that statement? We're going to open the Bible together this morning, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. And what we're going to discover together is that surrender only works when a relationship with Jesus becomes central. Surrender only works when a, when a love relationship with Jesus becomes central. We can try our hardest to obey God, we can try to walk with Him, we can try to do good things, but surrendering to Jesus only works 
when a love relationship with him becomes central. So Philippians chapter 3. We're going to focus in on these seven verses here, starting in verse 4. Paul is writing to the Philippian church, this group of believers in Philippi in the first century, and he writes this. He says, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have far more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That is a powerful passage. Paul starts out in verse 4 there. He says, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. See, Paul's, Paul's credentials as a Jewish person were absolutely stellar. And for a first century Jewish person, he was the cream of the crop. Paul was a respected leader in the Jewish community, so much so that that when they persecuted the church, who they thought were just heretics, they would lay their coats down before men like Paul because of his leadership in the Jewish community. In verse 5, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Now, if you've been in the Bible a while, you're like, oh yeah, circumcised. If you haven't, you're like, what? Weird. Why do you have to say that? See, circumcision was a sign of the Old Testament Jewish covenant, and it basically gave, it was symbolic that you were a, a part of the people of God. It symbolized inclusion into the community of faith, the community of God's people, Israel. In that way, it bears some similarity with New Testament believers' baptism, symbolizing inclusion into the family of God. So this was important. Paul also says he's a member of the tribe of Benjamin. See, Benjamin and Judah were the only two tribes who had a consistent presence throughout the Scriptures. Twelve tribes of Israel, two that had a consistent, steady presence throughout the Bible, Benjamin and Judah. And so for a Jewish man to be from one of these two tribes made him a highly respectable Jewish person. This was viewed as a deeply spiritual pedigree. Now, the tribe of Benjamin specifically was known for its courage. The first king of Israel, Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. 
And in a, a battle that had happened at a town called Gibeah, all but about 600 men were killed in this tribe, which made it very small. And it didn't grow dramatically over time. And so, specifically, the tribe of Benjamin was viewed as elite because it was not a large tribe. So it being small made it prestigious even more so. And those in it were viewed as special, select, spiritually elite. And so when Paul says this, it's a big deal to his readers. He goes on, he says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Now, we think Pharisee and we think bad because that was how Jesus talked and that was his perspective and he brought that to light to his followers. But in the first century Jewish society, many of the Pharisees were seen more like today's pastors and priests. They were viewed as respectable teachers of the scriptures. And a faithful person of God followed the Jewish law that the Pharisees taught. Many were legalistic. Many were judgmental. But they also memorized the scriptures like nobody's business. And many of them kept God's commands with ardent obedience. To be zealous for the law as a Pharisee was considered a sought-after thing in Jewish society. And so Paul says in verse 6, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, to live for Paul was to be a respected Jewish leader. That's who he was before he met Christ. To live was to be respected, but now... The value of Jesus in Paul's life has consumed the value of his achievements. To live for Paul is no longer to be a respected Jewish leader. It's no longer his achievement. Now, Paul says to live is Christ. Verse 80 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. Not only are his vain achievements worthless, not only are all these things that he's done and accomplished and who he was and his spiritual lineage, not only is that worthless to him, but he says everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus. I love this phrase. I love this phrase, the infinite value of knowing Christ. A couple of months ago, I talked a little bit about, I said, stop putting Jesus first. Do you remember this? Put him central. Because we can say Jesus is the most important person in our lives, right? And it can be true. But maybe Jesus is just a little bit more important than, say, the eagles today? <laughs> he's still most important, but he's just a little more important. But Paul is saying that the value of knowing Jesus is not just a little bit more important. The value of knowing Jesus is of infinitely greater worth than everything else. And that's why he can say confidently 
that compared to knowing Jesus, everything else is worthless. Not only are his vain achievements worthless, not only is the value of being a good Jewish person, does, does it pale in comparison to the value of knowing Jesus, but when Paul puts everything else on in his life on one side of the scale and the, the greatness of knowing Jesus on the other side, Jesus far outweighs them all. Far outweighs them all. And he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Greek word that he uses that's translated knowing in this passage is a word that's used experientially throughout the Bible. It's not just a word that only communicates knowing information. You wouldn't, Paul wouldn't use this word to say, I know Abraham Lincoln because I studied him and wrote a report on him in school. That's not the kind of knowing that he's talking about. This is a firsthand personal experience kind of knowing. Because for Paul, knowing Christ goes far beyond studying about him. It's about having a close and personal relationship with him. It's about spending time with him. Now remember, it's easy to get this confused in our heads. We can think, oh, well, Paul walked with Jesus. No, he didn't. Remember, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus after Jesus ascended. And so much like you and I, Paul had to live by faith. And his relationship with Jesus was through the presence of the Holy Spirit, just like us. Paul's talking about a close, personal relationship, and he says everything else in his life pales compared to the infinite value of that relationship. And that is what Paul means when he says to live is Christ. He goes on to say, for his sake... I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and be, become one with him. Paul uses a word here for garbage that has a variety of meanings, but they're all very similar. And what this word for garbage means is refuse or excrement of animals. It's a disgusting word. Some translations say rubbish or dregs, but the word here is always used for things that are worthless and detestable. Now, this is the only time this word is used in the entire Bible, but it's seen in all kinds of other first century Greek literature. It's used for waste thrown to dogs, and it was a medical term used in first century Jewish society to refer to human excrement. I know it's disgusting, but that's on purpose. It's supposed to be gross because Paul is saying that everything else in his life is repulsive when compared to the value of knowing Jesus. Everything else is repulsive. Now, comparison was used a lot in first century Greek language. You see it in Jesus when Jesus says that you should hate your father and mother compared to how much you love me. Now, does Jesus want us to really hate our parents? 
Well, no, he says to honor your father and your mother. But he's talking in terms of a comparison because that was normal in their day. And Paul is doing something very similar in this passage. He's saying there is such a massive difference between the value of everything else in life and the value of my relationship with Jesus that everything else, it's like it's detestable, worthless. Because for Paul, to live is Christ. And then he says this, I no longer count my own righteousness. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. You see, the path to radical surrender to Jesus, the path to obeying God, with my life, isn't found by focusing on the rules. It's found by valuing a relationship. Before Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he valued following the rules, man. He was all about it. He, knew the, he probably knew nearly the entire Old Testament by heart because Pharisees tended to memorize most of the Scriptures. And he followed it but he wasn't focused on treasuring a person. And that is the difference. That is the difference. Surrender only works when a love relationship with Jesus becomes central. See, Paul's life before Christ looked a lot like surrender to God. He was doing all the things. He, he says he followed the law flawlessly. Flawlessly. He even taught it to society. But his focus was not on a relationship with God. And surrender only works when a love relationship with Jesus is central. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, Paul says. And this is true for the not yet believer as well. Because if, if you're here this morning and, and you've never put your faith in Christ, maybe you just check in Christianity out or somebody invited you to church or maybe you've been here a long time, but the relationship with Jesus thing just sounds kind of foreign. Well, you see, God invites you to put your faith in Christ's death for you, which means that you believe that when he died, he paid the price for all the sins that you and I commit. He paid the price to set us free so that we could be free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, which is hell. And that Jesus' death paid that price and he rose from the dead victorious. And all we have to do is put our faith in that. And we too can be made right with God. It's not about sincerely doing my best. It's not about having the good in my life outweigh the bad. Where do you draw the line? No, the Bible says it's about faith. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and empowers us to begin living for Him. And Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death. 
So what kind of lunatic wants to suffer? In our 21st century American society, that just sounds wrong. But see, Paul had placed such infinite value on his relationship with Jesus that wherever Jesus was, that's where Paul wants to be. Whatever Jesus feels, that's what Paul wants to feel. Paul wants to be one with Jesus in every part of his life. Paul's radically surrendered. For Paul to live is Christ. When I was a teenager, I was addicted to a lot of different things. I just, despite how great my family was, I went off the deep end big time. And I was addicted to drugs and, I mean, all kinds of stuff. You name it. And one of the things that I was addicted to was porn. It was pornography. And I'm just going to be vulnerable with you guys here. And when I was a brand new believer, age 19, I put my faith in Christ. That was one of the things that God began to work on in my life pretty quickly. And I became so convicted about it that I, I entered this cycle where I would watch porn and then I would feel horrible about myself and I would vow to never do it again. I'd say, God, I will never do this again. I'm so sorry. And then I would have victory for two or three weeks and then I would do it again and then I would feel horrible about myself and I would repent before God and commit to never do it again and I'd have victory for about three weeks and the cycle would repeat itself over and over and this went on for months. I wonder... Have you experienced that? Maybe it's not the same sin, but some area of your life where you just cannot seem to break free. And one day I just felt so disgusted with what I was doing to my relationship with the Lord that I took all my pornographic videotapes, and these were like those old VHS cassette tapes, and I threw them all in a garbage bag, and I took the bag out to the garage, and I put it on the floor, and I took a baseball bat. It's a true story. And I started smashing it, smashing it. And my mom is in the kitchen. She hears this racket in the garage. And so she comes out of the garage, and she's like, what are you doing? And I look at her, and she looks at me, and I'm like, what should I say? And so I just said it. I said, I'm smashing my pornography. And she looked like mortified, like, why did you just say that? And she said, well, can't you just throw it away? And I said, no, because I don't want any chance that I will go back to it and mess up this relationship that I have going on with Jesus. Not one chance. Because the heart of surrender doesn't just run from sin. Guys, it doesn't work. Surrender only works when we run to a person, and that person is Jesus. Surrender only works when it's for the purpose of a relationship. Otherwise, it's just rule following, and that didn't work for Paul, and it won't work for you and me. Sin avoidance doesn't work, but I I think we kind of know that because we've all probably experienced trying, and maybe some of us are in that cycle today. Trying to obey God. When I focus on avoiding sin, inevitably I will fail. All of Paul's devotion was worthless until he began to make Jesus his one thing. 
until he began to make a love relationship with his king number one, central in his life. Paul doesn't say, for me to live is to obey. He doesn't say that, even though that's critical. But it doesn't work when you put the cart before the horse. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I focus on the value of my relationship with Jesus, I have power and his love enables me for radical surrender. Surrender only works when a love relationship with Jesus becomes central. So that we say with Paul, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. So in a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say a prayer for all of us, and I'm just going to ask you to bow your head, and, and in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to just agree with this prayer with me. And, and maybe you're in a space right now where, where uh, there is something in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on. Maybe there's something in your life, an area of compromise, where you're like, you've been struggling with it for a while, and maybe you haven't cared. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is going to start making you care. Or maybe it's something you have cared about and you hate that you do it. And God wants to give you fresh power for victory as you focus on your relationship with him. Or maybe there's something in your life that's not a sin issue, but it is an area of struggle that you just cannot seem to let go of. Maybe it's depression or anxiety or fear or something else in your life, and it's just plaguing you. It just won't go away. And in a moment, we're going to pray and ask God to, to identify that thing. Or maybe you're in a different category this morning. Maybe there isn't a, a certain thing that God wants to bring to mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting you simply to press into your relationship with Jesus like never before. Maybe that's what it means to radically surrender for you this morning, to begin spending time with Jesus. When I was, I don't know how long ago, 15 years ago, God brought this to mind just this past week, about 15 years ago, I put this little sign next to my alarm clock, and the sign said, One Passion. And the reason I put it there, I don't know if I heard a sermon or something where that was used, but I remember I was setting my alarm clock an hour earlier every morning, and despite the fact that I was tired, I would wake up and I would see that, those words, one passion, and it was, it was helpful to me to motivate me, even though I didn't have to, even though I didn't want to, to get out of bed and go and be with Jesus, because I wanted my life to be characterized by one passion, one passion. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe it's not a certain thing in your life that God wants to identify. Maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting you to make Jesus your one passion. And so let's bow our heads together, and I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to just agree with me in the quietness of your own heart. Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you that you're still speaking today, and you're not some far-off God, but that your Holy Spirit wants a relationship with us and that you bring things to mind that you want us to focus on. And so right now, in this place and in this moment, we ask you, God, what is it that you are calling us to surrender? In what way this morning do you want us to begin making Jesus most important?
Maybe it's a certain area of compromise or sin in our lives that you want to finally give us victory over. Or maybe it's just more generally you want us to begin focusing on a relationship with you like never before. God, we give you space right now to bring it to our minds. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you're so faithful not to leave us the way we are, but to make us more like Jesus. And so God, this morning, we invite you to do something inside of our hearts and strengthen us for greater victory than we've ever known before. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.